What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Tribe of Millionaires podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Gruber. And today's guest, Mike Taravella, is a GoBundance member, multifamily investor, a partner of mine in Quantum Capital. And he's just an all-around interesting guy. Yeah. We're going to start with an interesting topic, as a matter of fact. But first, welcome, Mike. The key to life, it isn't money. It's happiness. And when you measure how happy you are, you actually become even more happy. Our friends at GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, use a very specific tool to measure their happiness. It's called the Life Happiness Index, and you can have it too. Go over to GoBundance.com LHI and take your Life Happiness Index assessment. You'll rate yourself in multiple categories on exactly how happy you are and get a custom output for you specifically that you can use in developing whatever goals you have for your life. GoBundance is the tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. And the tool GoBundance members use at the base of all of that is the Life Happiness Index. Get out there and grab life big. What's going on, Jamie? Uh, you know, I miss you back in the States, but, you know, I guess this will have to do as you take over the world from the DR. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do. Next trip to Denver, though. I, that's overdue. I got to get out to Denver. Once it's warm enough for beautiful Jamie, all right, we can't, we can't get it too cold for him. He'll, he'll be stuck in Denver for too long. That's true. That's true. Let's, um, let's dive in. You recently went through a psychedelic experience. Yeah. Why? And what did you take from that? Uh, so one, it was always just like an intriguing experience for me to just like confront, like I saw the Netflix specials and just like the doctors and documentaries and went down like a rabbit hole of like, Hmm, this would be good. And I think for me, it was just being for me, my family, I was always like a rock for our resident, like for my family of just like in terms of what we're working on, what we're doing. And just like people would turn to me. So like my parents got divorced, my aunt and uncle, feuds so for me it's just like let's process and just like confront all of this uh had the experience with like and you talked about it so like you were kind of the resource to be like oh let's do this and so like i figured out the how behind it and uh it was the most spiritual thing i've done and it was just kind of cool seeing that like weight of like the family drama just like dissipate and then just hang out with like an 11 year old version of myself and just being having that curiosity as a kid and just embracing that as a 31 year old is like pretty wild. And, uh, since that moment, just being more curious with what I want to do. So I've been doing more stand up, uh, and then just like helping more people. Cause I realized that's why we're here on earth. And yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> How does stand up play into your healing? So the standup was always like a thing that I was always curious by, but always, I did it in Knoxville two years ago and it was a good experience, but I was too afraid to do it again. And so it was more of just like exploring those creative arts instead of just being number systems process and just unlocking that other part of the brain, which is much harder to do. Uh, but it's been a fun just kind of journey to understand standup and like the business side and just like seeing the full capacity of what the mind can do. It's, it's been a fun, fun ride. What's your ambitions there? Do you see a career? I think right now, I think the real estate will always be a career. Uh, but then like, I think the standup will be a very thorough hobby and I'm just regrounding it. So I'm in standup too in third coast. And I think for me, it's committing to so many open mics and writing jokes every day. 
So I'm at that part where I want to commit more to it, but then it's just defining it more in my life. Cause right now I started asset management consulting and been helping some go bros there. But I think real estate will always be a career. And then what we expand the real estate to and the standup will be a creative venture that we'll see what happens with. What's third coast. It's just a local comedy club where they teach stand up and we have a showcase December 10th. And then I've been to like about 10 open mics. Um, so it's just, it's been a fun creative outlet to, you know, when you do the number side of the brain and then you're like writing jokes, it's just very different, especially like no one in, no one in open mics gives a shit about interest rates. So <laughs> got to really have that creative muscle to flex and just, you know, look at everyday life and find the humor behind it. What's the joke that lands the best right now? <sighs> that's, that's a tough one. You know, I think I, I've always been topical, so I'm just learning to tell more stories, and that's just a weakness I have. So I've just been working on stories of, you know, parents dating because my family's divorced, and you know, just what ha happened was stories. So we'll, uh, you know, there's just been finding those truths in comedy of like just how crazy our families can be at times. <laughs> Makes sense. Are you posting this anywhere, or is it just? Are you recording it? Are you doing anything with it? I record it just for myself, but I'm like, as is last month since Lake Oconee, uh, the go abundance, it was having that recommitment to it of like recording myself on stage and then just having like thinking it from a more business perspective of just like recording myself, putting my content out there because I'm not the best at marketing, but learning to be more vulnerable with that kind of stuff, not get too crazy with it in terms of like, you know, some comics are very raunchy, but that's just not my scene. And, you know, still reflective of investors and what's going on. So it's a fun line to play of the say the thing that no one wants to say or hear, but also get kind of weird with it. <laughs> it's, it's fun and hard to listen to. You know, I did stand up for a while and yeah. it's fun and hard to listen to yourself. Sometimes like when you feel really oh, great, it's the worst, right? You listen and you think, or at least I've had this moment where I thought that actually I got a way better reaction. <laughs> and then I listened back. And it's like, oh, that was like one guy like coughed. That was pretty much essentially the reaction that I thought I heard. And then other stuff like that I thought died. Actually, I could hear a reaction to. So it's funny how the reality changes listening to it. Have you had that experience? Yeah. And for me, I think so. I come in with like an idea and I like try to tag after you'll do the joke and then you'll say like, say stuff after the punchline. And so those are usually some of the things that I like recording to find what works, what doesn't. Um, so like one of the jokes that was like more popular was like, I went to a private school and the priest got arrested in the early 2000s for having child porn on his computer. And so I was like, oh, I was clearly I was too ugly enough for him. And then just went down that rabbit hole of just like <laughs> getting the groan and then playing with that more. So it's just like, uh, different for a tribe. I'm sure this is different for a tribe of millionaires podcast, but it was just like playing in that awkwardness and then just like tagging that three or four times of just like, Oh, it sounds like you guys got picked before me and just like going down those rabbit holes of it's, it's the ultimate <laughs> entrepreneurship, uh, uh, muscle to flex up comedy. You're yeah. completely raw, completely vulnerable. It's just you. There's no one else. It's just these thoughts that come to your mind that you try to share in a way and a structure that that entertains other people. Like I can't think of, I'm sure there's something, but I can't think of something 
more, I don't know, more difficult, honestly, than oh, like yeah. if, if you want to do summer like theater, well, you're in a troupe and you've got a script and people wrote down the lines for you, right? Improv. Improv is tough because you're you're doing it on the spot, but you're playing off of other people. You know, like there's uh, uh, buying real estate, investing in real estate, right? Like you can you can do that, and there's there's resources and structures and tactics, and you can join masterminds, and you can you can join teams that are selling that are buying real estate, like you and I have, right? Like there's there's these different ways that you could do all of this stuff, but stand up is essentially saying, I'm going to do this. I have no support. I have no allies, and everyone there is is begging me to do something that is good for them. It is unbelievably difficult and it takes massive balls to do it that's my take you yeah no uh oconey oconey was pretty like i think too i think the biggest thing is like people get like the investor webinars and presenting presenting facts is easy because you go yes it's this and i think it's this because of this versus on stage you're like i think this is funny and then if no one thinks it's funny you're like shit <laughs> So it's like, and trust me, in the open mics I've done and in the classes I've done, it's definitely like you could write. I've, I mean, I'll spend a week doing five minutes and it's like, <laughs> and so it's just a process that we got to, uh, you know, it's definitely a challenge, but I look forward to it. And then just I, I it's kind of cool because like you, the people that are at like getting their shot at Zanies in Nashville they're definitely way better than me, but it's just like, it's not like yeah. a crazy leaps and bounds and you see people quit. And like, I haven't done an open mic in a while cause they've been really focusing on writing and growing a business, but it's, uh, it's having that recommitment and keep going. And like next week I'm doing three open mics and doing three different sets. And so it's just a process. And I think, you know, similar to everything, it all comes back to how prepared you are like to get the deal. And I see it in like emerge and all these groups is like, I want a deal. And they're like, okay, well, how many brokers did you call? And they go, none. I go, perfect. Well, you didn't do anything. So like, you're not going to get a result. And by joining those groups helps hold accountability. But at the end of the day, it's what you do. And I think it's just like, that's even more true with like the entrepreneurship and the groups and everything. Like people mistake what the real work is. And then they get upset at the results years later when they're just on the hundredth zoom call, then haven't taken any real action. You know, last point on comedy that that to align with what you just said, and then I want to ask you about your statement about adding value to others is you do have to do the reps and the difference. Again, you want to talk about the ultimate in, in entrepreneurship and like pride swallowing work. But like when you when you think something should work, you've got to keep going back to it and just tweaking the tweaking the the tonality, the pacing, everything. Like I had this joke. <laughs> I did a lot of stuff about being like this incredibly pasty white guy married into this Dominican family. Like that was pretty much my entire, my entire set, right? That's everything I talked about. And some of it was probably by any standard, especially today's standard, probably not appropriate. And some of it was just funny. But one of the jokes I would use was around learning Spanish and how my wife wanted me to learn Spanish. So whenever I would say something, she would reply by saying, no, 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 in Spanish. And then, so I remember saying, hey, babe, what's for dinner? And she said, no, in Spanish. And I reply, what is for dinner? Like with this bad Spanish <laughs> accent, which is hilarious to me. No one laughed. No one laughed. I did it time after time after time. And I finally, like the 15th or 16th time I did it, because I knew like, this is funny. Why is it not getting a laugh? 
the 15th time. I remember where I was, man. I was in grandma's basement, granny's basement, inside of a uh, Chinese restaurant, inside of a Holiday Inn, underneath the Green Monster at Fenway Park. Like that was the club. And it was all these dudes that hung out all day and were, that's the whole open mic crew and then me. And so I'm like, they don't want to laugh for me. I'm not their friend. I didn't smoke weed and play video games with them all day. But that night I just went from, oh, hey, what is for dinner to what is for dinner? Like I slowed (laughs) it and fucking everyone lost it. It was, it was like, I said the same thing at the same spot for like 20 shows. And then one time I just changed the cadence. And from that point forward, whenever I did that, the few more times I did it, it always hit. So to your point about entrepreneurship, the reps, like that is the most embarrassing. Like I'm up there being racist, you know what I mean? Like, like using bad accents and all of this, but just to get this laugh, I had to like, I had to tweak it to get to this point. And that's what I, I, I agree with you, man. Like entrepreneurship is all about that. And, and, you said about building your business, we're going to talk about it, but it is the reps and continually going back to it, whatever that might be that gets you there. But I want to ask you, you said the other thing you're doing is you've learned from your psychedelic experience that just add value to others. What does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, over my journey, like I've always in my twenties was like working for free or like not making the most money. And that's like, you know, working from Ernst Young to working for Dan Gilbert's family office in Detroit, launching eSport. Like I just did the stuff that was like, Oh, that sounds cool. And now like now that I've gotten more expertise, uh, you know, turning 32 later this month in November, but a lot of it's been like taking all those cool experiences and compiling it into just like a good portfolio in terms of work. And then just taking all of those experiences and adding value to the real estate. So like when I worked, for real estate, I was help introducing people who had deals and money. And then it evolved into like, you know, joining a family office in Knoxville and creating systems for the asset management and the property management. Now I left, started, you know, kind of my own firm partnering with Quantum. What I've kind of realized is like, I'm not the best deal person, but I'm the best at like, if you give me a T12 or income statement or a rent roll, I can optimize multi any business but right now it's been multifamily because what's happened in the market you know rents haven't gone up 20% year over year they stopped and even gone down uh bad actors in terms of construction crews property managers like i almost had to threaten to sue a property manager earlier this year and just like a lot of shit has happened and the people who don't have the experience are just like panicked and i want to help go abundance and any other investors so we've spun up on accident even because uh, an investor called me and goes, I'm going to fire my asset manager tomorrow. Can you help? And so then that turned into, I was nerding out with Daniel Casey at his event in from GoBundance. And someone came to me, he's like, can you do our asset management? And so this total niche that I didn't even know existed has turned into like a consulting business. And now I have four clients and looking to expand and get team members. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like, it's a systemic way to look at every property and just measuring that week over week and you'll see trends and where things go wrong. Um, and that, and it's for stuff that we have systems for our portfolio. So it's just been a cool, interesting way to give back, help investors so that in the next wave I'm partnering with more deal people and investor relations and just capitals to help everyone be efficient. Cause if anyone does a bad deal, it doesn't do anyone good in our field. What's your portfolio stand at right now? 
670 units. Uh, it's 100, 105 uh, assets under management. And I'm asset managing about client-wise uh, 200 units more week to week. And then more like higher level consulting. They're like another 200 million assets under management. So it's like, I'd say altogether closer to 300 million in consulting work. Okay. Management. Let's break that down a little bit. 600 units. That is as a GP, LP, yes. both? GP. GP. GP, LP. Okay. And then you said you have um, 200 units, 200 units in assets under management? 200 million in assets under management. 200 Two million. To in, yeah. And this is the consulting work that you're doing? Correct. So as a consultant, you're coming in to act as asset manager or are you coming in to work with an existing asset manager? Uh, so the client that has 200 million, it's more of like acting with the asset manager just to make sure they feel supported because it's a, a newer hire, but then the rest is, I am the asset manager. So about a hundred million as the asset manager, hundred million is the asset manager, 200 million that you're working with an asset manager as a consultant, pure consultant in that regard. Correct. Yes. Got you. What, what is your capacity for being able to manage assets or consult with ma uh, asset managers. In other words, right now you're at 100 million that you're personally managing or you're acting as asset manager. And then you've got, you know, this 200 million, like what is your capacity and or what does your team look like as far as being able to manage that and how much more can you with your current structure? Yeah, so I think we could probably add on a couple more clients, but right now we're hiring a analyst uh, overseas because a lot of the systems we have. So it's literally like doing a weekly pulse doc and or a weekly document to make sure physical measuring physical economic and our marketing. And then from there, it's looking at the financials monthly. We could probably do a couple right add a couple more by the end of the year. But our goal next year is to get 600 units um, as the asset manager. And we'll have one or two hires by next year to just really add to the systems because I think in the role of asset manager, it gets overlooked by, you know, it's not everyone's main business. And so my goal is to just optimize and make sure that everyone's looking. Because I think what happens is it gets a lot of attention at the beginning, then it goes back down, performance uh, performance suffers, and then it's just this zigzag of performance just based on attention. So my goal is to one, optimize and then hold that bar of excellence, especially during these choppy times and insurance and renewals. And everyone's talking about the banking, you know, refis are going to be dead, but there's still opportunities to be had and to optimize portfolios by doing like minor tweaks. Like we're not overhauling or we're not, you know, charging $10,000 in rent. It's just secure changing from security deposits to move in fees and just up. there's a lot of things that can be optimized that isn't huge business plans like when you're talking about jason Dries coaching the analogy is like it's an alignment mm. and so if we're doing that financially and doing a, a couple alignments per throughout the year we can have a huge growth for the portfolio valuation are you taking equity as an asset manager or are these purely consulting fees that you're you're taking or both consulting fees for now because for existing deals it just gets pretty messy and yeah. with the capital stack so we're just doing fee based right now um, we're working on our pricing right now for the first couple clients we've been just doing income based of just performance um, but we're looking to just kind of scale and make it more um, you know lucrative for us but also the value you know the Alex Hermosi the guaranteed offer of just like how much value we're providing because I look at it as if you do a move-in fee and charge $500, multiply that by 200 units and divide that by a five cap, it's like, oh, 
the property has gained millions of dollars of value versus doing the same thing that everyone does and painting it gray, charting a security deposit. And just, there's a lot of things we can optimize to prevent the downside, but also uh, uh, optimize the upside for value. What is the resistance you get on the idea of move-in fees versus security deposits? Oh, this is, uh, this is my favorite because property managers hate change. Uh, and so they're like, this is how we always done it. And so anytime anyone ever hears that should be a red flag. And so property manager, like, I don't know, it takes a lot of work. They got to market it. But the thing I say is we use Rhino, say rhino.com. We have a good relationship with them. And so what we do is the resident pays a $500 move in fee plus $180, which they can pay across 12 months. So the total they're paying to move in is $680. For a fourteen hundred unit or fourteen hundred dollar rent, so a security deposit is going to cost him fourteen hundred dollars. Us with Rhino and a move-in fee, they're paying six eighty. So the resident pays less. The ownership gets more coverage because that coverage could be up to one to five x rent. And so security deposits maybe one month's rent, and then there's just a lot of processing your pro- a property manager has to do. And so we had an issue where a resident declared bankruptcy and left didn't pay for three months, we got all of that money back in 72 hours. And so it's a little bit of upfront work that people aren't willing to do. But at the same time, if we implement it, right, we just saved a ton of money on delinquency and damages and onboard it. And the resident pays less overall. Because at the end of the day, we're here for our residents and we care and we want them to have a say in their, in these, their communities because they're homes. And so it's saving the resident more money and optimizing for ownership. And so that's What's how that we just- website? Rhino.com? Say rhino.com. S-A-Y-R-H-I-N-O.com. Yes. Correct. And to understand this properly, $500 goes into the pocket of the, of the owner, never to be refunded. That 180 is paid to Rhino, either yep. upfront or in 12 payments. And then yep. Rhino provides you, or say Rhino, provides you with, uh, provides the owner with essentially 3X the rent in coverage, coverage. correct? Right? It's so it's an insurance policy, essentially, like a surety bond. Is there anything else though? Like, so I think about my first thought was going to be, well, without the without the resident having a return coming, are they more likely to create damage and therefore increase my turnover cost? That would be my only concern or objection to something like that. Is that eliminated, or have you not seen that? Is it eliminated because of say Rhino, or have you just not seen that? Um. We've had one of our 670 units plus the consulting. We've had one resident balk on the move-in, non-refundable move-in fee. The only other hurdle that happens is every time there's a lease, you have to have a rhino policy. And so there's just a little bit on that renewal process. You have to make sure it doesn't lapse. And so it's just a little bit different and it requires a little bit more education but that little bit of education gives ownership more coverage. The The resident hasn't been like, screw it, I'm trashing the unit because they're just more for, worried about like the move-in. Uh, but it just it, it gives everyone more protection, which at the end of the day, that's what we're here for in terms of just damages, delinquencies. And, it, and they work pretty quick. Like 72 hours, we got the check from Rhino to make sure we get like the $3,400 the resident paid. We got it in 72 hours. So that's tremendous value add versus imagining going for collections for damages. Plus you have to go to courts for that. So it's like, you're just 
there's a lot of money lost and yeah. time and processing versus wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Playing this out, 100,000, I'm sorry, $500 times 200 units, it's 100 grand in revenue for the, for the owner, right? And you said yep. at a five cap, that adds about $2 million in value. That's on paper, great. Do banks yeah. buy it? In other words, is it too outside the box that banks don't look at that as revenue? Do they, do they, do they force it uh, uh, back above the line or anything? I don't know. Is there, is there anything they, they do to block you from being able to realize that as gain? No, because it's, it's becoming more like in cities like Chicago, there's not as much security deposits because it's more litigious. So I think it just, you may have to explain it. Um, but generally the national apartment average has half your units move out. So if you want to be conservative in your underwriting, you could say 50% of your units will have a move in fee. And then also too, right. You can toggle that fee right, right now. Some of our apartments we've have it to half off. So it's only two fifty. but, um, at the end of the day, we're having our residents pay less to move in yeah. and we just responsiveness and we're measuring net promoter scores to make sure like, why are people staying or leaving? So it's just like, we're looking at this, not just from a move in standpoint, but we want residents to stay and we want our owners to be happy as well. So it's just a lot of, we look at a lot of different things. And I think when you're running and gunning, having your W2 and then, or your main business, their real estate gets forgotten and you're you're not playing offense with your real estate portfolio. So we're just trying to hear it be there for other investors and you know and even in LP deals that aren't doing well. We want we just want LPs to like feel better or to be a resource to them as well. So like if anyone has questions, we can happily chat and discuss and figure out how you can take over the world. Makes sense. All right. Uh right now you mentioned rents going down. What is the what is the biggest, I don't know, hurdle, concern, issue you're seeing in the multifamily market right now, or maybe for the next 12 months? Give us your crystal ball. What's happening yeah. in the next 12 months, next 24 months, next 36 months? What do you see? Yeah, so uh, I think a lot of people are blowing up the debt as like, I'm going to wait for debt to go down, which I think is a losing strategy. We're still making offers on deals, and they're just seller financed. Uh, I don't think in 0809, 2% of agency loans defaulted. I think we're hearing about a lot of bigger, like a lot more cases right now because of just bad actors and not as sophisticated owners, but like, it's still a very low percentage. I think I've heard of like two or three more cases. Um, but I think realistically rates go down next year. Um, the rates will go down once unemployment goes up, uh, because most presidential election years, the economy ticks back up. So I think rates will go down. It'll be like the last levy of refinances before kind of the next wave. Um, and I think rents will stay down because a lot of supply has been brought online. So like where, where are you seeing a lot of supply? That surprises me to hear you say that. Where? Nashville, Huntsville, Alabama. Development? Uh, has, yeah. Huntsville is like almost doubled. So Huntsville three years ago, the average occupancy was like 98. And now I've heard, I've talked to lenders and owners and just like, I've seen it hover around 85 for the, like the lease up, but essentially like downtown Nashville is like people are like, Oh, rents are down in Nashville. And it's like, well, yeah, there's a lot more supply that's upticked. And Nashville is the number one city in the country that had the most units getting developed. I think it was at, at any one point, it was 21,000 units under development. Um, so if you think about it, it takes two years to develop interest rates were incredibly low during the last two years. So a lot of units are coming online. 
Yeah. And so I think what I've seen is property management, like Matt King said it best in Nashville at a regional meetup. He's like, what are the, your vendors that go out of business? And I mean, I've already threatened to sue one man property manager in, in Tennessee. Um, I think a lot of bad players and actors get eliminated with this next wave. And so you'll only be left with the A players. Uh, and that's like property managers, flooring companies, construction crews, like what have you will stay alive. And so I think it just right now, it'll weed out a lot of the people who, you know, I think a lot of people who bought with floating rate debt that aren't sophisticated, like when rates are zero, the only way they can go up, they only rate, they can go up. And so, yes, did I forecast an 800% increase on in, in, uh, insurance or uh, interest rates? No, but insurance is going up, taxes are going up, and those like you can't get away from. So like I think long-term what happens, the next 12 months, 24 months, a lot of pain. People, investors don't make their 2x return. People are gun-shy on multifamily investing, but I still think there'll be good deals who have longer term horizons, uh, longer term being five to 10 year holds. Uh, and then what will happen to, I think the government will actually kind of step in and more section eight operators will come out on the next uptick because with rage, with this kind of multifamily experience, I think rents can't go up 20% and wages go up only three. So I think there's just a lot of regulations yeah. that will occur. I've said I think the longer the term debt you have right now, the more the 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 better you should sleep at night. You know, five years out is is God. No, I mean this is how I sleep with quantum, right? We we got you and I we got into a bunch of deals in the last two years, but they all have very long term debt, seven, ten, fifteen years optional uh, uh, debt terms on them. So the ability to ride out whatever this is, not whatever this is, but what this is right now, <laughs> I have um, I have a lot of faith in. The one thing I wonder about, though, and something I, I couldn't have foreseen, is the the quick, fast acceleration of liberal policies in cities, specifically cities. The San Francisco type of policy, you know, uh, soft on crime. It's like a it's a perfect storm. It's like the defund movement, which I think is bullshit, but there's an element of it out there that's mostly in urban centers until they need somebody. Then they, you know, oh, call the police. Oh, you don't want the police or whatever. That's my own my own rant. But there's the de- there's the defund movement. That's mostly a liberal movement. Liberalism exists more in downtowns in cities. With the defund movement and the the lack of desire for police to be there, they've decriminalized a lot. San Francisco being the great example of that. People people give me shit for giving San Francisco shit, but it's the it's the epicenter of terrible policy run amok. You can't prosecute anybody and. They don't want the police there. And then thirdly, because of all of that, this sort of, I don't know, bleeding heart mindset around the homeless and these homeless camps or, or, or tent cities or whatever. You're even seeing it in Austin right now. I think all of that is devaluing the downtown experience. So until you've got, dude, man, I look, I'm older than you. When I was growing up in Long Island, I was told whenever I went to New York City, do not go to Times Square. You do not go to Times Square. You're, that's the most dangerous place you could go. Say that. Well, now you could argue this, maybe returning to that a little bit, but say that in the last 25 years, right? Like the last 20 years, I mean, Times Square is the spot. Guy like Giuliani comes in, cuts out low level crime. That leads to bigger level crime going out, you know, stop and frisk, whatever you think about that. But he was very, very tough on crime, or at least his policies were. Again, not endorsing the man, just the policy. 
I think there's got to be a return to that mindset. And you're seeing it. The New York City mayor recently is a very liberal mayor. And he's like, yeah, it's enough, enough. We can't take any more uh, immigrants. We can't, we can't house any more immigrants. We're no longer a sanctuary city. Like that's the turn. So, but the problem right now is people are fleeing the city. So there's all this development in downtowns. People are moving out of the city and it's going to take cleaning up the city to move back in. That's my very extended take. But you study this shit. You tell me, where am I off? I think the biggest thing is like COVID was a catalyst, which I think everyone said on a podcast, but it's like it really f- fluctuated where people want to do business. Uh, so like the Northeast went to the Southeast. Yeah. The California, if you're in the Northern part, you went to Nevada Idaho. or in Idaho. Like you went to states with no state income tax. Like it's not yeah. hard. If you pay taxes, it's cheaper to live somewhere else. Do they get you on like franchise and excise and other taxes? Yes. But like people really had reevaluated their lives and was like, what is the best for me and my family? Like I, I look at comics, half the comics who are in LA are now in Austin. And they're like, yeah, even true. people in New York are like, I'm going to Austin because I got my tax bill. And I'm like, never mind. Um, so I think like, don't make business decisions because of taxes, because then you could get in by bad deals. But I think like, generally, even Peter Littemann's textbook is like, the areas where it's easy to do business, where there is business growth with educated people, those are the best spots where you want to invest in. And so what's happened, I think, is like legislation that made it harder to prosecute people. And then there's safety issues. And then it just it spirals. But I think a lot of people are willing to like migrate where like it's just quick to execute like the decision because they think it's the right thing. But then no one's thinking of the second, third, fourth world consequence, right? Defund the police sounds good when there's like a lot of, you know, some police brutality, which I think is wrong. But then like, like you said, it's okay. Well, if we defund the police, then there's no police. And then if there's no police, then there's more crime. (laughs) And so it's just like this vicious cycle. You have loops you get in. Um, But I think it's just like you have to be able to do business in cities and like in areas of the country, because if you promote those, if business is promoted, then there's more people who will invest in those areas. And then the more investment, there's just more, it just is like a catalyst. So like, even for us, when we're investing, we're looking for those areas where economic development from the government and then the population growth, and then just, all of the things play a factor. And I'm not saying you have to only invest in areas with no state income tax, but if the government is investing along with entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurs are helping, uh, there's just a lot of second, third world consequences that happen. And yes, like the homeless and affordability is a thing and a crisis that will get addressed in the next 10 years. Uh, But we just want to, I mean, we're here to help our residents. Like we don't, we're not just like, it's not a numbers on a spreadsheet. And like, we look at our net promoter scores and we're like, how do we, how do we make this community better? It's never to make like, how do I make more money? It's how do we make this community better? And so like, is it, you know, an amenity? Is it a pickleball court? Like these things cost money, but at the end of the day, like us as an ownership group, like we care about our residents and it's like that equates to more dollars long-term, but it's just, you know, it, in terms of just the less we have to renovate units, the more people stay, the more people want. And it's just like even my 36 unit earlier this year, we had to turn 21 units of the 36 in three months where we almost ran out of money. And it was so bad that I like had to introduce myself as the owner of the property 
because like residents were sending work orders all December and weren't getting answered. And I felt ashamed because I'm the owner and the buck stops with me. So I know like people listening are like, oh, we don't care about, you know, it's just money and numbers, but it's like, no, we care for our residents and we're here for them. And like, you know, we want everyone to have a good resident experience. And so we just care about them as much as possible and just want them to succeed in life. And we don't want to evict people, but you know, that's not everyone's a good actor. So you're a, you're a Michigan born guy and bred spent some time in Knoxville. I know you, you've been in the financial sector. You mentioned Dan Gilbert's company, and then you worked with, uh, with the Jake and Gino crew. I know for, for a number of years. Um, now you've got this consulting firm. You partnered up with different firms to either, either help with asset management or in the case of quantum and equity partner, like I am. You've done all this stuff in real estate. You have your psychedelic experience that leads you to some 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 revelations about maybe some trauma from from your upbringing. Stand up comedy kind of plays into it at that point. You're you're diving into that, even getting some accountability. It sounds like in a parallel universe, if you go back to Mike Taravella and told him, "Hey, uh, this is the path I had. Choose a different one." Eighteen year old Mike, what's the different path? If you had to not oh, be in man. real estate, what would oh, what man. would it be? I would have been, in, I would have done fucking sales and just been in the DR with you, man. <laughs> uh, I would have probably, so doing it different, I would have done a, less accounting and probably like in terms of, it took me five years of doing accounting work to realize like I wasn't an accountant. And when I, I tell people, you, you, you feel nothing like an accountant. You feel 0% like an accountant. You mean most accountants aren't doing open mics and investing in real estate? Like, <laughs> but no. I did accounting because like literally my mom was a teacher and my family worked for Chrysler. And I was like, I don't want to do anything engineering or like mechanical. And I don't want to teach math. And so like literally it was like, oh, then do accounting. And it was like, oh, this is easy. I can do it. Uh, so I would have done more finance and I'll never forget my professor when I graduated with my master's the week before she's like, you're going to hate public accounting. And I asked her and I had a good relation. I have a good relationship with her. And she was just like, and I thought she was messing with me, but like years later, it took me five years to realize like I can start a business and people like doubt Like my ex-girlfriend doubted me buying a house for rentals. My mom cried in a bad way of like, you're going to lose all your money. And so I would have just believed in myself sooner. I would have told him, believe in yourself sooner to go do what you want. And then from there, you know, just go meet the people and like help them. Because I think like right now, like just uh, being in Emerge and seeing what's going on. And I think there's a lot of people that like do 10 different things and they do them all not very well. But it's like do one thing for 10 years and then like pick your head up because there's a lot of time where I just put prioritize work to get the experience, but I sacrifice my health and my relationships and my family and it sucks, but uh, you can only make it better. And so I would have said, believe in yourself sooner, fucking relax more at Rome was a built in a day and have more fun. Like I don't regret not working hard, uh, but having those fun experiences and when doing it with good people makes life way more enjoyable. I think you meant, I don't regret working hard. The double negative yeah. messed with me. I yeah. don't regret not working hard. I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, but yeah, got you. There's, there's my accountant <laughs> brain coming in. There it is. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you sound like a, you sound like a poll question at the, yeah. at the voting booth. Does not Mike <laughs> not want to not work, not more. I never understood those questions. They always blew my mind. 
Yeah. Um, last quick question before we go to the GoBundance questions. Uh, would you do another, well, quick answer. Would you do another psychedelic experience? Yes. And Ryan would- Kennedy's breath work is the closest thing. So if you don't have the like, availability, reach out to Ryan Kennedy because his breath work was just as powerful, I would say, in the spiritual. So like, if you're like, drugs aren't my thing, I don't want to do this. Like Ryan Kennedy's breath work, we did it at Oconee and it was- I heard amazing things at Oconee. I didn't do it, but what would your intention be for your next experience? A lot of it was looking back, but now in terms of like looking forward of like growth scale as not just business, but like person, uh, me and my girlfriend have been dating over six years. What does that family aspect look like? What is, what do I want that to look like? And yeah, just looking future setting. Cause I tried to prevent what's prevented you from putting a ring on six years. Well, long distance and on top of like just uncertainty of where we'd be geographically. And I know, so like of the six years, two were long distance, year one and year three. And now we were like, are we moving from Nashville? You know, there's just a lot of family stuff that we had to like figure out and plan, but. Where might you move? Uh, well, she, she got a job in DC, by DC. So we're like, are we going to stay in Nashville? Or are we not? But um, there's, but. 2024 may look a little bit different. We'll say, how about well, I was going to ask you, so are you able, do you have location <laughs> flexibility right now? Now I do, but I think it's just for us, we've bounced around. So like in six years, it was Michigan, Chicago, Knoxville, Nashville with the potential in year five, like to have to move somewhere else. Um, so it was now we do, but like the last year we were just like, let's, we don't have to worry about moving somewhere else. And that, so just like we actually had fun last year and then next year, I think we're going to look to throw a ring on it. Fingers crossed dad and family say yes, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. Six years is a long yeah. time. So it's yeah. time, my friend. You're not getting any younger. I always, that's one of the jokes. I was like, I'm just waiting for her to propose, you know, I'm that progressive. <laughs> hey, it's that we're in a new age, man. We're in a new age. I get it. I get it. You identify as somebody that gets proposed to. Yes. I mean, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. <laughs> All right, let's dive into these GoBundance questions. There's six pillars in GoBundance. Bucket list adventure, horizontal income, age, defying health, genuine contribution, authentic relationships, and extreme accountability. Which, in which of those pillars are you crushing it, Mike Taravella Jr.? I would say I think the biggest thing is the horizontal. I think over the last few years, been planting a lot of seeds in terms of equity and deals, and now they're making money. And I'm like, oh my God, I have a savings account. Life is good. It's not like FU money, but it's like after making all money. the, f- yeah, making money. And I'm like, oh, this is what it's like having a savings account. And then refinances are still happening, properties are selling. Um, I think like horizontal, I'd say, is like killing it. Um, and just like the spirituality this whole year with like the breath work and, you know, just being more vulnerable to the group and go abundance has been huge. And after a year of go abundance, I feel like I'm finally in my tribe of like, I know how to add value to this group and community. Ooh, um, we're going to dive into that. We're going to dive yeah. into that. Answer <laughs> this question first though. And which yeah. of those pillars could you use more support and accountability? Health. Uh, so I hired literally in Lake Oconee, Ryan Kennedy's in my pod and he's just great with health. Uh, I saw Ansi and he was yeah. like half the size. So when I first met him, I'm like, is Ryan Kennedy your coach? And he said, yes. And I told him, I go, Ryan, I'm hiring you today. And he laughed cause he's never seen me serious. I'm like, here's my Amex. I'm take my money. So I'm like two to three weeks into it. Lost like five pounds. Wow. Uh, 
So it's just like, and and it's not like life changing stuff in terms of like, he's not like go run 30 miles before work. It's just small tweaks uh, that are sustainable. And so um, he's been helping me with that. And my goal next year is we'll say 10% body fat so we can time lapse it and be like, did we fucking hit it? So nice, man. That's amazing. All right. In what area of your life, pillar or otherwise, are you flirting potentially with disaster? Um, I'm not the best planner. And so I've been taking a lot of intentionality of like really addressing what am I doing? What do I want to do? Because for the last year, it's like when you don't have health insurance and you're like, you're just trying to navigate the entrepreneurial life. You're like, you're just like make money today to pay bills. And now I'm future setting. So I'm in a pod with like Brad White and um, Logan and Jesse, and they're like older than me and just, but also providing a lot of like wisdom of like scaling companies and just like have families. So I think for me, it's just like future planning, like being a dad, having a family, being the husband. So it's, I wouldn't say flirting with disaster, but it's like, I'm taking a huge growth of like trying to plan more than 10 days or a week out or even tomorrow. <laughs> Everyone it, disclaims that flirting with disaster. It's like, just own it. You did. That was amazing. That was a great, great answer. I appreciate that. The, yeah. the, it's funny. When I left my job, I didn't have insurance for like a month. I have a family, right? I have a wife and kids. It's the most irresponsible thing you can do. But I mean, that's my truth. Like I didn't. And I was like, oh shit, I should buy insurance. And then I, I didn't keep Cobra because it was stupid. And then I bought this like $100 policy that gave me like Hey, if you get hit by a bus, well, even then that's covered by PIP, but whatever. If you if you have something <laughs> catastrophic happen, you got coverage and I could check the individual mandate. But then I went health share. Have you looked into health shares? Yeah, I'm in uh Sidera. I'm in that one. Is that I a share? I think so. Okay. Yeah, they're way more affordable than regular health insurance. I I literally the whole process was like a joke because I'm just like can you? I'm trying to say insurance, and they were like, "It just—it's such a convoluted process." I'm no, like, you don't. You just <laughs> tell, tell them you're tell them you're self-insured. So if you have a no, health no, share, no, I'm just saying when like I'm trying to use the insurance word for the not like the the health share, and it's just like that whole process is just—it was like a lot to go through. But it's like once you're doing it, you're like, "Oh, we'll see what to happens." Who? This you year. Need, to who? You're talking about to like the hospital or the doctor? No, to like the onboarding because like I'm used to be like I want insurance and they're like it's not insurance and I'm like yeah whatever what you you call I call it deductible you're calling it I'm like whatever I it wish. is you get yeah. what I'm saying <laughs> yeah I so, in, in, initial unshared amount and yeah man like I, the biggest thing I had was going into doctors and hospitals and saying oh I have the Zion Health it's not a health insurance a health share and they're like what and Zion oh. told me just tell them you're self insured and you know what they do when you're self insured they bill you a shit ton less. Yeah. A shit ton less. Like there's insurance. They know insurance. They know how to build a hell out of an insurance company. When you say self-insured, like, you know, I get reimbursed. That's most health shares. I think are reimbursement, right? Like submit the bill, they pay you back. But I mean, they don't know what to do. So I remember going in for like a four hour ENT appointment because my ear was bleeding. I had this bad infection. It got raw. It was terrible. (sighs) I go in for this appointment. They're like banging things off of my skull to make sure it's not a, a hearing issue. It was like in a quiet room, like hours I was at the CNT. And I remember thinking, like, I, I can only imagine this bill that I'm going to have to get reimbursed. And when I came out and said, yeah, I'm self-insured, they're like 150 bucks. I'm like, you're kidding me. $150 oh, was, for this whole thing. <laughs> that was me at the dentist getting x-rays. Every picture, I'm like, oh, that's 100 bucks. That's 100 bucks. <laughs> 
it is what it is. So anyway, yeah. and health insurance, by the way, barely covers. It's like the same cost to pay for health insurance or dental insurance, I should say, as it is to go to the dentist twice a year. So yeah, dental insurance no, isn't worth it. It's wild. <laughs> I, on another thing, I'll share uh, the cost of insurance and the cost of 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 um, health care here in the DR. Holy crap! I mean, holy. Crap. Let me put it this way: three nights in a hospital, forty-four bucks. Also, for the record, Jamie leaves for the DR and then every medical thing happens. I think Jamie literally went through the medical Olympics throughout the entire DR. I was meant was to like... test it. I was meant to test it. I had a, a GI issue, which led to a colonoscopy. My kid was hospitalized with dengue fever. Like, it's insane how much we've done here. Like, I know the doctor. Like, fucking gringos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. In what specific way has GoBundance impacted your life? You were talking so, a little bit about this earlier. Yeah, it goes back to Emerge even because, like, I remember when you first launched Emerge, I go, I'm signing up. And then you laughed. I was like, no, no, I'm signing up. And I did. And it's just like, uh, everyone talks about the vulnerability. And just like, I've never, like, I think the analogy was uh, Matt King said it in Oconee is like, who had a life changing conversation in five to 10 minutes with someone? And I'm like, I'm meeting like a ton of people and just like talking about like real shit in like five minutes. And um, it's allowed me to think even bigger because I think the first year of GoBundance was like, I knew of it and I knew the players, but like finally seeing the value add of just like what I bring to the table, it, it just allows you to think even bigger and it's never a dollar amount. And like, it just like Matt King, you and just like everyone else just like cares so much about each individual member, but also as a whole of like how we can provide value to everyone. So it just allowed me to think bigger uh, and to think less about me as the individual, but more of the whole. And it's like, it gets more fun when you get to help more people and just add more value to them. So it just changed my whole perspective of just thinking bigger. And it's much easier to do when you realize you're just helping people. Yeah. I love it. I'm curious. Because I say this to people, what you just said all the time when they ask about like, how do I navigate membership? I always say, just come in with the intention of adding value. Like it sounds so cliche, but just do that. Don't try to figure out what you're going to get. Just figure out how you can give. And that's when the return comes. Did I, if I heard you right, you've had consulting clients that came from relationships within GoBundance. Is it, yeah. is it safe to say you're essentially covering your membership or some portion of it simply by being a member at this point? I didn't even think about it like that, but I guess, but I think even just like Tom, hearing Tom Bilyeu and, you know, uh, yeah. Cam Camille speak like Camille's presentation in a Coney. I'm Amazing. Like, that, that doing just, it for Emerge. He's coming into Emerge to do uh, it. That whole thing just shook me. And when he's like, I don't want to do the spoiler, but like what he's do not. No, no, not I wasn't. Spoiler. <laughs> but what he's what he did was so amazing that it inspired me to think a thousand X bigger. Same. Same. It was like, oh, fuck. Like that, that last moment was like, wow. Yeah. So yeah. it just like you get in people with like, you didn't even know it was possible and like everyone's willing to help and care. And like, even if it's not go abundance, like those groups are just tremendous. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. I, the, the people that feel the need for a financial return is who I speak to with that. Like, did you make back your tuition? You know what I mean? Or have you made back a portion of your tuition? Like you, like you said, I didn't, I didn't calculate it until last year, my fourth year, third, three and a half years. But then I went back and I'm like, wait a minute, how much have I spent on GoBundance? 
And then what have I generated in, in revenue, in, in uh, income, in equity for that matter? And the number is into the, into the seven figures when I look at all of it, oh, right? Like, and not, not, simply, not simply like, oh, I got access to invest in this and I put my 50K in. I'm not even talking about that. Yeah. I'm talking about specifically um, out of the blue or out of thin air revenue and equity generated based on relationships formed in GoBundance. Not why I joined. But by being in contribution, that's what's happened for me. So yeah, anyway. it's been wild. Even like the people, like I talked to, you know, someone in Champions over a twenty dollar watch, like a Casio watch, and it's just like we're friends over watches that I didn't even know existed. And now I'm talking to Aaron West more in a watch group chat than I've ever had in real life, and it's yeah. over watches I shouldn't even be close to looking at, but like people are talking about. It. So it's just like you, you, the exposure is just wild, and you can that's never incredible. It's like a podcast or a whole Netflix series of like, how did, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. All right, what advice might you give a new or prospective member of any GoBundance community? Have guest speakers on your pods because no one knows how to run a pod until you have other people who are on a pod. And I'll never forget when you yelled at our pod and you're like, what's the one thing they're struggling with in your pod? And you're like, called me out. And I'm like, I have no idea. And you're like, yeah, I know all of my pod members' biggest pain points and struggles. And if you can't name it or help them, you're so just like have guest speakers. Uh, like we had Luther Hagen on and just like you can tell those guys are been in it. And it's just like it puts the pressure on you guys trying to be four guys and just think of it as more of like like brothers and just helping them in their time of need. So have less pressure on pods by having guest speakers. Great, great pod. point. I was happy to come in and do that. It's true. Most pods don't know what everybody, most pods don't understand or can't articulate immediately their pod mates pain points. And that to me is the, the, the epitome of coming here with the intention to add value, right? Like if yeah. you're going into the pod, like, great, what do I get? Is this working for me? That's all about what you get. But if you come into the pod and say, Hey, I know what all of you want and I'm working actively to help you get it. And then they're doing it too. How do you not win? And how do you, it just takes pressure off of this need to be epic every single week. So anyway, final question comes from the GoBundance card game. 10 of hearts. Oh, I got two of them on this card. I don't know which one to ask you. I'll do this one. If you cashed it all in to live in one spot forever, where would it be? Like geographically? Yes. Or just, uh, first Italy. Cause it's just like the food Chianti. Oh, just like you got the mountains, the water, you got it all. So I'd say Italy would be up there. Uh, I know my girlfriend would say Spain, but you know, we'll split. The beauty, of, the beauty of either of those is you can visit the other. Like I want to do Switzerland <laughs> for a while because it's like central to everything in Europe. So after this yeah. Punta Cana adventure, we're thinking, I'm thinking, my wife isn't on board just yet with Switzerland for like six months, if we can clear the Euro thing. Um, but then from there, go check out Paris, go check out Barcelona, go to go to England and all that good stuff. I'm going to ask you the other question. Yeah. Have you ever sold your soul or at least sold out? He, have I ever sold my soul? Yes. Doing uh, public accounting at EY. Uh, and it wasn't like for the money, but it was like for the rat. It was like, it felt like I was selling my soul because I was just like hated it. And I'll never forget like every day. I'm like, if I'm doing this for five years, I'm going to kill myself. And I told people, I was like, I hated it. And I was like, it's good money. It's good exposure. Uh, and I just, I resented every fiber of my being every day. 
to get this experience in public accounting, which in the grand scheme, yes, it was helpful, but it wasn't as helpful as everyone told you and promised and sugarcoated. And so like, I would say like not betting, sold, selling my soul for a salary insurance and safety versus like exploring and doing cool shit with like friends. Like we had a screen printing kit business and I sold my soul cause it was like, I went to EY instead of running that and seeing what we could have done with that. So that's, that's where I would say I'd sold it. Not, it wasn't for millions. I promise you. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Mike T where can people reach out, learn more, whatever you want to drop uh, here. Yeah, value add Mike on all handles uh, because 0% of people can spell my last name correctly the first time. Uh, but value add at Mike on Instagram, Twitter. Twitter's underrated platform. For those who aren't on Twitter, get on it. You have uh, no- X. X, excuse me. Excuse Come me. on. X. Uh, and just like that's been the, this, you know, go abundance. But then X has been like the number two place of actually meeting real investors talking about and entrepreneurs who are doing real things. And uh, yeah, happy and Mike at valueedmike.com if you have any questions about investing or need help with your deal or just want to be like, what's this deal? It's this multifamily thing. More than happy to help serve and help you take over the world. I love it. Appreciate you coming on, brother. Thanks for doing this and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Jamie. 